Thank you, Marilyn. These are the best-selling self-help books at Amazon.com. Number one, Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. The description says, no matter your goals, Atomic Habits offers a proven framework for improving every day by James Clear. So you know this book is going to be clear. It's Father's Day. I get as many of those as I want. It's, it's going to be a long day. Number two, Green Lights by Mr. All Right, Matthew McConaughey. The description of the book says, I've been in this life for almost 50 years, been trying to work out its riddle for 42, and been keeping diaries of clues to that riddle for the last 35. Notes about successes and failures, joys and sorrows, things that made me marvel and things that made me laugh out loud, how to be fair, how to have less stress, how to have fun, how to hurt people less, how to get hurt less, how to be a good man, how to have meaning in life, how to be more me. Recently, he says, I worked up the courage to sit down with those diaries. A few more, number 10, Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, subtitle, Master Your Mind and Defy the Odds. Number 11, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an Expletive by Mark Manson. Number 13, Jordan Peterson, 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote for Chaos. Number 18, Atlas of the Heart, Mapping Meaningful Connection and the Language of Human Experience. Number 23, us, getting past you and me to build a more loving relationship. The world is admitting that we need help just to live life every day. In fact, we are showing we will pay good money for advice in the most basic, the most normal parts of life, romance, money, habits, relationships, and mental maturity. And Christian bookstores are no different. One pastor noted that recently he went to a Christian bookstore on a seminary campus, and it had a large section entitled Self-Help, which was twice as large as the section on the Old Testament. By the books we read, one pastor noted, we can hear the human heart confessing its lack of fulfillment, lack of satisfaction, and desire for something more and for a good life, even if we don't know what that life really is. If you look at the Christian self-help bestsellers, you can see who we listen to the most. The top three books in Christian self-help, which is an oxymoron of a category itself, those top three authors are an NFL football player, a Catholic bishop having a conversation with the Dalai Lama about suffering, and the pastor of one of the richest and largest megachurches in the world. It seems even spiritual people looking for something of a spiritual answer to the, Christian, to the meaning of the order of life are looking to authors and voices just outside true Christianity. And this is where the book of Proverbs comes in. 
The book of Proverbs is practical instruction for living a holy, meaningful life to God. It is no self-help book. This is what we are going to say about the book of Proverbs as we begin preaching through the book of Proverbs, at least chapters 1 through 9 today. Not chapters 1 through 9 all today, but chapters 1 through 9 the summer. Answering three questions today. What is Proverbs, number one? What is Proverbs? What is this book? Where did it come from? Where is it in the history of the people of God? What is Proverbs? Second question, what is the practical application of Proverbs? What is the practical application of Proverbs? Number three, what is the main message of Proverbs? What's the main message of the book of Proverbs? If I were to get one thing right about Proverbs, what would be the main message of the book of Proverbs? And finally, I think you might know where this is going, who is the peak of all of God's wisdom? Who is the apex, the peak of all of God's wisdom? Those will be our four questions this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come now to your word. We are so desperate for correction and instruction, even rebuke. We need wisdom, God. Father, I pray that this morning you would help us sit here with your word opened in our laps. Help it get into our hearts that we are in desperate need for instruction. And that you are God who has wisdom. Help us be humble. Humble today. Help us not be proud in our own opinions. In our own understanding. Help us admit that we are wrong. And that you are right. Help us love your voice more than any other voice in the world. We love you, Father. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what is Proverbs? What is Proverbs? First answer, which we'll add to, these are the thoughts of an ancient Israeli king named Solomon. The thoughts of an ancient Israeli king named Solomon. At this point in history, Israel was at its peak. It is huge. It is wealthy. It is powerful. It has overcome enemy after enemy. They have the Mediterranean Sea to their west. All of their enemies, north, the Arabians, the east, Ammon, the south, Edom, and Moab, have all been defeated. Just think about how Solomon's time compares to all the times preceding the people of God. Abraham was found lost in the desert fighting enemies. Moses was in captivity. His people had been there for 400 years. God saved them, then took them wandering in the desert for 40 years. Joshua was forced to fight enemy after enemy along the way to the promised land and then in the promised land. Through the book of Judges after Joshua, we are up and down, up and down, up and down. We trust in God, we're sinning. We're trusting God, we're sinning. Enemies defeat us, then we're saved over and over and over. Then in First and Second Samuel, they get their first king, someone to help us be like all the other nations. 
But their first king, Saul, is a dud. Forsakes God. He dies paranoid and manic. But then comes David. Man after God's own heart. That little shepherd boy becomes king and he conquers nation after nation after nation until there is finally peace in the land of Israel. The people are in the land. They have the law. They have a king. Their enemies are defeated. And then David dies and Solomon becomes king. What does Solomon need? What does Solomon need to be king? When Solomon becomes king, it says in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 12, Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. This wasn't just a growing kingdom, a striving kingdom. This kingdom had come somewhere. It says in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 20, Judah and Israel were as many as the sand by the sea. And here's what they were doing in Solomon's day. They ate. And they drank, and they were happy. You can say that about Moses' day. They just sat around and ate and drank, and they were happy. You can say that about David's day. They were in the land, no enemies. The promises to Abraham, so many of the promises to Abraham and Moses and David are, are coming together in this moment of Israel's history. So what do they need? Look with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. And see what this third king, the grandson of Saul, son of David, what he prays for in this moment. Right after 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, page 280-something in your house Bible. 1 Kings chapter 3, page 282. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7 to 10. See what Solomon prays for. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. See, Solomon is feeling quite overwhelmed at the task before him. I do not know how to go out or how to come in. That's a battle term. I don't know how to fight like my dad. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or accounted for multitude. Verse 9, here is Solomon's prayer. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? See God's answer, 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 through 34. After espousing Solomon's great wealth, we see that God gave him the wisdom that he asked for. 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. Wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Israelite and Heman and Calchol and Darda and the sons of Mahal. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. I have no idea who these people are, but I have to imagine they would have been thought of like Dr. Phil or Oprah 
or Bill Gates. They're, they're the top five best sellers in the wisdom category of ancient Near East literature. And his wisdom surpassed them all. Verse 32, he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005 He spoke of trees from the cedar that is Lebanon of the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. I think this is saying he could see wisdom anywhere. And the people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom... We get an example later in chapter 10 when the queen of Sheba comes from North Africa. She hears of Solomon's wealth, hears of his wisdom. She comes to see with her own eyes. And the same is the time of reading when she sees all of his wealth and she asks all of her questions, every question she could imagine. When Solomon answered them over and over and over, 1 Kings 10.5 says, there was no more breath in her. Breath was taken away. She asked until she ran out of questions. Solomon asked for wisdom to lead God's people. God gave him wisdom that was without compare in the world. And now Proverbs starts like this. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon Son of David, King of Israel. When verse 1 says the Proverbs of Solomon, Son of David, it's, it's not merely a kind of a mandatory attribution to an author on the cover just so we know who wrote it. It's, it's a proclamation. This is Solomon's wisdom. Solomon? Yeah. Where did, you, where did you get a copy of that? This is the all-time ancient Near East best-selling literature author. And why does it matter that we have Solomon's wisdom? Why is it so important that we have Solomon's wisdom? What makes Solomon so great? Because Solomon's wisdom is God's wisdom. This is God's wisdom. Solomon prayed and asked God for wisdom. Solomon started out his getting wisdom with admitting to God that he needed God's wisdom. And God gave him wisdom. And he became wise. To say that these are the Proverbs of Solomon, to look in history, is to say that these are God's Proverbs. This is God's wisdom. This makes Proverbs different than all of the self-help books and all of the magazines and all of the websites and all of the movies and documentaries and all of the counselors. It stands out from Confucius and Buddha and your grandmother I'm sure your grandmother is so wise. But you cannot put it on the shelf next to bodybuilding magazines and car building magazines and home building magazines and relationship building magazines. It is above all other wisdom. And all other wisdom must submit to it and be tested by it. Friend, where are you Looking for wisdom. Your own heart. So many of the books that you have on your shelf. Your aunt. They may be great sources of wisdom. 
But Proverbs is calling us to listen to the mouth of God. Listen to the mouth of God. What Marilyn read for us in Proverbs chapter 2, 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. Wisdom comes from Him. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. What knowledge there is in the world, what understanding there really is in the world, comes from His mouth. Proverbs is not just wisdom about God. It's not just wisdom about God's world. This is wisdom from God. These are not man's words trying to live in God's world. These are God's words about wise living in His world. Do not treat Proverbs like a collection of fortune cookies or the phrases inside candy wrappers or cereal boxes. Do not compare it to chicken soup for the soul. Please treat these words as to be revered, treasured, counted as ultimate and trustworthy. Friends, do not only pray to God to give you wisdom. Do not only pray for God to help figure out what to do in any given circumstance. Read these words that have come from His mouth. I don't have to ask, but I know from talking to many of you in recent weeks, you read the news and hear about your families and your marriages and your children and your sicknesses and your frustration with wars and finances and politics. Let me just encourage you. Listen to the words from God's mouth. What you are most thirsty for in the world is not a meeting with your pastor. It's not for your life group leader to get it together this Thursday night. It's not to go home and see your grandmother, although that may do a good thing. What you need, what we need, is to hear the words from God's mouth. That is wisdom. That is knowledge. From his mouth come understanding. What is Proverbs? These are the words of Solomon, but we see that in Solomon in his history that these are the words of God. What is the practical application of Proverbs? What is the practical application of Proverbs? How to grow into God's wisdom. How to live in God's wisdom. Look at the next section in our passage today. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 2 to 6. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 2 to 6. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. 
In other words, if you want to be wise, if you want to live having had instruction, if you want to have insight, if you want to go past being simple about the world and understand the world, to deal wisely, if you want to be prudent, that is, have some foresight in all of your decisions rather than live simply and kind of dumbly about what's going on in the world. If you want to do that, the practical application is this, verse 5 and 6. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. I think sometimes reading Proverbs feels like playing the match card game. You know the game where all of the cards are face down and you turn one over and then you try to turn another one over and try to find the match. You have to remember where that card was that you turned over last time and what it was so that when you turn it over the next time, you maybe can open it at the same time and get a match. I don't think I've ever won that game. I think we feel a little bit like that, though, about Proverbs. We turn a circumstance over. We, we come into the circumstance, and we're, we're frustrated. I can't remember the proverb. I can't, I can't go in and turn over the proverb that's supposed to match that. Where, where's the one about money? Where's the one about foolishness? Where's the one about pride? Where's the one about your enemies? Where's the one about the golden ring in the pig's nose? That's an actual proverb, by the way. Just look it up. Proverbs is there to help you grow and give you insight so that you are a more mature and more insightful person having God's wisdom about the world. That you grow in your understanding of how the world works so that no matter what situation you find in, you are walking, having in your ears the words from God's mouth. Do you want to know wisdom? Do you want to know how to deal wisely in every situation? Are you tired of always feeling naive? That is simple in every situation. Get the wisdom from God. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. Isn't it interesting? At the very front of Proverbs, it's saying the wise ones increase in learning. It's not the wise ones who don't have to learn anymore. Wisdom is increasing in learning. The one who understands, if you understand wisdom, you're going to go obtain and go ask for more guidance. Seek to understand the Proverbs and their sayings, the words of the wise. Listen, pay attention to God's wisdom. Wisdom then to us is not an impossible, foggy, circumstantial, elusive set of teaching that God keeps away from us. God is giving it away for free. This is a free book on God's wisdom. Obeying it may cost you everything, but God gives it to us freely. Proverbs teaches how to live in God's ordered world. Wisdom is not mostly figuring out what to do in a situation no one has ever been in before. Wisdom is not that 1% of the days where you are confused and you are just lost and you have no idea what to do. It's for every day. It's for going to work tomorrow. It's for going home to your spouse today. It's for going to see your parents. It's, it's for every single day learning how God's character, His holy ordered world works. So that you know, you know what happens if you're lazy. Because we know this is God's world. You know what happens if you're proud. You know what happens if you commit adultery. You know what happens if you reject God and His wisdom. I don't know much about cars. 
But my, I understand the general idea is this, that you, you get your key or your push button, you do one of those things, and somehow sends a little message to the battery, maybe, which then sends from the battery some electricity to the starter. I think the starter starts making some noise if it's working. And then it sends a little message to the engine and says, let's make some fire inside. And then we're going to start making pistons, and then the wheels are just going to turn. This is why I take my car into the mechanic, let them work on it. This is how the Proverbs work. It's not necessarily troubleshooting every single situation in life. That's not the goal that you can, you can figure out what, today this is my situation. It takes me right to Proverbs 14, 12. Well, it, it may, there may be a proverb that is absolutely fitting for your moment. But more fundamentally, reading through Proverbs is not a place you go when you're stuck. Not a place that you go when you find out that you have a problem. Not a place when you're at the end of your own wisdom. It's a place to go today before you get to where you're going tomorrow so that having God's wisdom, you can see how the world works when you get there. Wisdom is not just spontaneously coming up with brilliant ideas for getting out of situations that no one's ever been in. Wisdom is actually instruction from God on how to fear God in every aspect of your life. Let me ask you, how, this, this is how you know if you think this way. Do you pray for wisdom often? Do you read the Bible often seeking wisdom? Or for you, is wisdom something that you use only when you get stuck? Friends, if that's the case, that might mean not that you are very humble when you get stuck, but that you have been very proud all along. Don't treat wisdom only as a rescue plan, but as a blueprint for every day. Do you think you're pretty smart, but sometimes you have to ask God for help when you find yourself in a difficult situation? Humble yourself even further to the disposition of Proverbs, which is, if any of us are going to be wise, we've got to humble ourselves really down low to hear from God. And say like Solomon, God, I'm just a little child here. Who am I? I need your wisdom for every day. Wisdom is how I get from being totally naive and totally imperceptive to the world, to having insight to what is really going on because God himself is giving me insight. Now, what is the main message of Proverbs? What is the main message of Proverbs? Three simple words. Fear the Lord. The main message of Proverbs isn't first be really wise and be really smart and know all the sayings and memorize all the verses so you can apply them to all the situations. It's fear the Lord. Look at how the introduction to Proverbs ends in chapter 1, verse 7. You want wisdom? Come get instruction. And here's the summary of the whole book, Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. One author says, just as a text in calculus resupplies familiarity with 
algebra without making any overt references to it. So the teaching of Proverbs assumes that the reader shares its worldview and only rarely makes explicit references to what is taught elsewhere in the Bible. Proverbs will go wrong on you if it does not begin and end and mean the fear of the Lord. The whole of Proverbs is about how to walk in fearing the Lord. Where does wisdom begin? Not in ten tips, not with five tricks, not with twelve secrets. One thing, fearing the Lord. And this is the testimony of all wisdom literature in Scripture. Consider Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Solomon, the same author, is searching for what really matters in life. I've got swimming pools. I've got cars and, gar- well, not cars, horses and gardens and houses and armies. And I've got it all, but it's all vanity. It's all going away. It's all falling through my fingers. I'm going to die like every other man. So what really matters in life when you really look around? Here's how Solomon ended the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 13, 14. The end of the matter is this. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of man. For God will bring every judgment, every deed into judgment, with every secret thing, whether good or evil. That's how the book of Ecclesiastes ends. What matters? What doesn't go away? What doesn't flutter away when we die? Fearing God, keeping his commandments. Then there's Job. Job didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. For all intents and purposes, it seemed like Job never found out to the day he died. Job lost everything. He he lost everything. Everything, his house, his children, his farm, his servants, his own health. And it was all due to a spiritual theater. He couldn't even see God permitting Satan to come take it all away. Satan, under the providence and authority of God, who was testing Job's faith, brought about storms and fires to destroy Job's life. What can Job do? How do you live in wisdom when it's all gone? What's Job supposed to do? Whose fault is this? Where could you even begin to possibly to know how to live in that situation and discern what it means? That, don't you know that's the whole point of the book of Job? It's not the first three chapters where everything gets taken away. It's the 37 chapters after that where his friends and Job are debating what matters. How does this work? What are we supposed to do? Who do we blame? And John read for us Job 28. From where then, Job says, does wisdom come? Where is the place of understanding? It's hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we've heard a rumor of it with our ears. We've heard about wisdom. <laughs> but God understands the way to it. He knows its place. For he looks at the end of the earth and sees everything under the heavens when he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned to the waters by measure when he made the decree for rain when away for the lightning of the thunder and then he 
saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And God said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, Job. That's wisdom. That's understanding. Job, fear the Lord. That's the insight that you need to live your life. You will have no idea what's going on up in heaven. The wisdom that you need is this, Job. Fear the Lord. That's all. And you'll be right by God here on earth and in heaven. Just turn away from evil as you have been doing, Job. That's what it means to live in understanding. How can you possibly walk in wisdom knowing that all of life is futile and fleeting? Ecclesiastes says, fear the Lord. How can you possibly walk in wisdom when you don't even know what God is doing in your life behind the scenes? Job says, fear the Lord. How can you possibly walk in wisdom when there are countless situations that are impossible for us to navigate in our own wisdom? Proverbs says, fear the Lord. Proverbs is not unique to the Bible. It is continuing the theme from the garden to the garden that the way to walk in wisdom is simply to fear the Lord. Friends, don't be tricked into thinking that wisdom means that you always know everything about everything. That you always know what to do in a situation in order to make the situation turn out a way that you would like for it to turn out. Wisdom doesn't always work like that. As in Ecclesiastes, life is futile. As in Job, much of what guides our lives is God's invisible providence. How can we live in it? Fear the Lord. This is a fear which is a right fear, a holy fear. A fear that says, I want to go to God and obey Him and love Him because He is God. Because He has saved me. Because this is His world. Why, why did Israel go into exile? Fundamentally, because they did not fear the Lord. They worshiped idols. They worshiped idols, and so God removed them from their land where they, Solomon had been so firmly planted. The temple was so firmly planted. The kingdom was so established, but God removed them from the land. Why? They did not fear the Lord. So God's fit. His correction through Jeremiah chapter 32 is that he is going to put the fear of himself in their hearts that they may not turn from me. That's where they went bad. They did not fear the Lord. They turned to idols. So they were very foolish. Unlike that devilish fear, Michael Reeves says, that we have seen that would drive us away from God. This is a fear that keeps us from turning away from Him. Fearing the Lord is not just a feeling, not just a feeling of afraidness, all, although it is a, a deep sense of awe of God's wonder and majesty and power. It's not just a feeling. Demons have those feelings. But it's a worldview system of thinking and living and faith and trust. God exists and he has created everything. God is holy and trustworthy. He is not evil. The world is God's world. The world works the way God has ordered it according to his own nature. This is so huge. Proverbs is not a moralistic book. It's not a book filled with karma. 
saying that if you do good things, really good things are going to happen to you. And if you do bad things, really bad things are going to happen to you. Proverbs is saying that this is God's world and God has ordered it to work according to his holiness and the most fundamental way to live in it, to get into the gears of how God's world works is to fear the Lord. I've never said in a Ferrari, for example, but I suppose those who are familiar with Ferraris know that when you get in it, it's supposed to handle a certain way. It's supposed to get up to a certain speed. It's supposed to match a certain style that comes with the name. I know about this from personal experience. When you go to Taco Deli, I know how that tastes. I know what to expect when I go there. I know the certain flavors that are there, the food that are there, the taste, the smell. This is God's world. It's like God has ordered it. And all the tastes, all the inner workings, all of the functions are according to Him. So to fear the Lord is just to say, this is your world, God. This is your vehicle for your glory. And unless I treat it like it's your world, I will always be out of gear. I'll always be mistaken. I'll always be misstepped if I'm not fearing you. Listening to the words from your mouth, God. This is God's world. A holy order. Therefore, wisdom and understanding comes from fearing God. This means in part that fearing the Lord... Fearing the Lord means the path to wisdom is partly theology. The way to wisdom is not by just going to wisdom, but by going to God. You cannot get to wisdom without going through theology, that is, the study of God Himself. If you attempt to use Proverbs and use it like fortune cookies or a daily calendar of tidbits of wisdom, it'll go bad on you, it'll turn into moralism. But if you set out to fear the Lord and learn how to live in God's world, listening to Him and to His mouth, it will give life to you. Be careful that you not think that wisdom begins in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom begins in the book of Genesis. Wisdom begins with saying, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God exists. God created the world. This is His world. Fearing the Lord means recognizing this is God's world and I'm part of a creation that's living in His world. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. You cannot be wise and not believe in God. Wisdom then is found in Exodus when Moses confronts Pharaoh. See that wisdom looks like an Exodus. It doesn't make sense for slaves to show up to their masters and say, Hey, let us go. Let my people go, but Moses did. Why? He encountered God at the burning bush. He heard from God and fearing God more than Pharaoh. He led the people of Israel out to oppose Egypt. Many of the, of the Israelites, remember, they thought this does not make sense to us. Who died made you king. They're going to make it worse for us. Look, you, you're already talking to Pharaoh. They're making us make more bricks. This doesn't make sense. Not in worldly terms, but if you fear the Lord, you're walking in righteousness. You're walking in wisdom and insight and understanding. 
The way to wisdom is not just to shoot straight to some Proverbs about talking to fools or how to study ants and their busyness and their work habits or how to avoid adultery. It starts with fearing God. And wisdom is fearing God all the way through. Wisdom never departs from being the fear of God worked out practically. That's the meaning of every proverb. Do not let proverbs become a godless book to you. The path to wisdom is theology. Fear the Lord. Know the Lord. Wisdom is dripping from every page of the Bible because the Bible is theological. Maybe for you, the first step from simpleness and fear and anxiety to getting into wisdom isn't a book about wisdom. Maybe it isn't first a book about how-to or ten things or six ways to fix your marriage. Maybe the first step is coming to read the book of Exodus and fear God. Coming to the book of Jeremiah and fear being very careful with God's word. Maybe reading Romans, fearing the immense wisdom of God, Paul says, in regards to his salvation through Jesus Christ. I was talking with someone counseling once, and I can't remember if their recommendation came on their own part or if it was mine. But they came back saying after having dealt with a great sense of anxiety and, and worry and needing wisdom for their situation that it was actually exodus that helped them more than anything. Get a right view of God. Get a right view of who God is and all of his power and his word and see wisdom begin to come forward to you. What the book of Proverbs is doing is just working out the fear of the Lord into everyday life. It teaches us that fearing the Lord is the dynamic, the rubric for every question. Or should I be doing on Sunday when the church is gathering? How do I talk to my spouse? What do I do with my money? How do I handle my marriage and parent these children? What do I do if I can't have children? How's my job supposed to work? What job should I take? Why do jobs matter? What's God's relation to the government? What about my relationship to the government? What should I be doing with my free time? I could go on and on and on. There is not one of life's question that does not begin with the answer, fear the Lord. Can I connect what I'm doing in my life to fearing the Lord? When you get to your life group this week, ask that question. Can I connect what I'm doing with my life, my Thursday nights, my Saturday mornings, my relationship with my neighbors, my relationship with the lost, my money. Can I connect what I'm doing in all of those things to the fear of the Lord? Or am I living on my own understanding? Maybe in your devotion this week, you would just write down your entire schedule for your week from Monday to Sunday and just ask the question, in everything that I'm about to do this week, what does it mean to fear the Lord? What would I do differently knowing that God is watching, and this is God's world. If you don't know the answer to those questions, look for help. Continue to read God's word in prayer. 
It is not our job to foretell the ways that we can change or control the future. It's not our job to engineer every single circumstance for a certain outcome. Walking in wisdom begins and works out from fearing the Lord and sometimes leaving it to His providence. There's an old story of an old farmer. I may have shared this before. He had worked his crops for many years. One day his horse ran away. Upon hearing the news, his neighbors came to visit and said, Oh man, that is such bad luck. You're so sympathetic. Your horse ran away. Maybe, said the farmer. The next morning, the horse returned. But he brought with him three other wild horses. His neighbors came to him and exclaimed, How wonderful, how lucky for you. Well, maybe, replied the man. The following day, the man's son tried to ride one of the untamed horses, was thrown, and broke his leg. And the neighbors showed up again with all their sympathy. Oh, what misfortune, how terrible this is. Well, maybe, said the farmer. The day after, military officials came to the village to draft all the young men into the army. Seeing that the son's leg was broken, they passed by him. The neighbors congratulated the farmer on how well things had turned out for him. Maybe, said the farmer. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7 through 8 says it like this. Verse 8 says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You don't know. Wisdom is not about knowing how everything is going to turn out. Job walked in fear of the Lord, even though he had no idea what was going on in his life. You cannot keep things from happening in the world. You do not always know what God is doing in any given circumstance. Be free. Be free from being God, from trying to be like God in omnipotence and omniscience. You are not all-knowing. You are not all-powerful. God is God. You simply fear the Lord and keep His commandments. It's so freeing. It's so freeing to let God be God and say, God, you're the wise one. I'm trying to walk in your world, in your wisdom. That's the summary. That's the main message of the book of Proverbs. Fear the Lord. And what is the peak of God's wisdom? What is the apex of God's wisdom? We should be asking the question, who is the peak of God's wisdom. If you walk in fear of the Lord, it will get you to Jesus Christ. You cannot truly walk in fear of the Lord outside of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself feared the Lord. He is to us the great example of what it means to fear the Lord. As we read at the beginning of our service today, Isaiah chapter 11 prophesied about Jesus Christ, saying, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. It's going to be on him. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Jesus came and walked in the fear of the Lord that we in our sinfulness don't. And we without God can't. What did that look like in Jesus' life? The primary way that Jesus shows his and exemplifies his fear of the Lord was by going to the cross. 
is foolishness to the world, but is in fact God's highest wisdom among men. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane? The night before his crucifixion on the cross? What did Jesus pray? Oh, he's in a situation, he's in a dilemma. If he dies on the cross, he suffers a great deal. If Jesus is arrested, well then what's going to happen to all the plans and all the prophecies? If Jesus dies, if the Christ dies, well then what happens next? I mean, we've got to start asking some questions with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. How can Jesus live his best life now? What are the atomic habits to help Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? What's the antidote for the chaos in Jerusalem on this day? If only Jesus had green lights diaries, how to be fair, how to have less stress, how to have more fun, how to hurt people less, how to get hurt less. What does Jesus do? He prays. He goes to God in prayer in the fear of the Lord. God, is this the way? Is this the way of righteousness? Okay. God, is there, there's no other way. This is the way? Okay, God, if this is the cup that you have for me to drink, if righteousness means this, if fearing you means this, your will be done. And Jesus goes to the cross out of fear for the Lord. Not because of his own sin, not because he did something wrong and God was mad at him and God was punishing him and oh, his sins got him into this trap. His own foolishness got him into this trap. No, he went to the cross in God's wisdom for our sin. Jesus didn't look at the situation and navigate it going, well, this makes perfect sense according to the world. Any good leader knows the best thing to do is to go die. No, he feared God. He delighted in the fear of the Lord. He would rather delight in God and go to the cross than lose God's favor and be free of the cross. That's how Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins. It is the wisdom of God through Jesus fearing the Lord and stepping into his plan which led to our salvation. He died on the cross to pay our debt of sin. We deserve to die. We deserve God's wrath because we have lived so foolishly because we refuse in our sinfulness from Adam forward to fear the Lord. We just took one command, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, well, this fruit looks good. And that's our problem is we don't fear the Lord. Romans chapter 3 says everyone has the same problem. There is no fear of God in their eyes. We deserve God's judgment because we have feared man and ourself and feared suffering and feared pain and, and, and feared, feared death. But not Christ. Him falling into the fear of the Lord fell him into the cross for our sin that we might be forgiven of not fearing God. Oh, friend, God has put all of his wisdom in and through Jesus Christ 
Christ is the man who stepped into the book of Proverbs and wore it like a perfectly tailored suit. You cannot be wise and reject Christ. You cannot love God's wisdom and reject Christ. Jesus Christ is God's wisdom. He is what it means to fear God as a man. Colossians chapter 2 verse 3 says that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What seems most foolish to the world is actually God's greatest wisdom. It looks terribly foolish to believe that Jesus, the Son of God, crucified for sinners, died on the cross to shed his blood for forgiveness of sin for those in the world. It doesn't make any sense for the king to die. But it's God's greatest wisdom. Ephesians 1 says it like this, In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of God's grace, which God lavished on us. He sent Jesus to spill his blood, to lavish grace upon us in all wisdom and insight. God knew this was the wisest thing he could do. He makes known to us through Christ the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Oh, in Christ crucified for sinners and risen from the grave is all the wisdom and insight God has. All of time, all of space has one great center for wisdom. Jesus, fearing the Lord, giving his life for sinners. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, Paul says. But we, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You want to walk in wisdom, insight, have knowledge, listen to the words from God's mouth, and fear Him. You want to see God's all-time greatest display of wisdom in the earth? Look to Jesus Christ, crucified for sinners. Look to God's Son, submitting Himself to God's will, fearing the Lord, going to the cross for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, an opportunity to come and hear your word preached, an opportunity to gather, to sing, to read, to pray. Father, would you help us grow in wisdom today, not by learning more things, but by adjusting our heart to fear you and desire the words that come from your mouth.
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the words through Solomon. Thank you for the words of Christ. Help us walk in wisdom this week by fearing you. In Jesus' name, amen.